Broadcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and raising the MLS Cup, somewhere near Columbus, Ohio, the campus of Otterbein University, let's go crew, and glory to Columbus. is tackling the chicane. is a YouTube gem from probably 10 to, I don't know, 10 years ago. Came across it on a random search. Couple, couple's one of the greatest Christmas songs ever with Bob O'Reilly and does it quite well. Mm-hmm. So... I thought it quite fitting as we enter into this uh, the holiday season of the broadcast. Very nice. Very nice. nice. And fitting for this celebratory broadcast <laughs> of the Columbus crew. Yeah. Well, uh, you know... It's been a bit of a whirlwind of emotion down uh, on this end of Interstate 71 uh, in the past two weeks. Um, so last week, uh, no show, uh, obviously. Um, but um, since then, one of the more uh, interesting uh, stories in Major League Soccer 
uh, has transpired, I think it is fair to say, and uh, also probably fair to say um, that, you know, we were not expecting this. So for those of you unaware, um, the our local club, the Columbus Crew of Major League Soccer, won the league championship this past Saturday, taking down um, the defending champions, LAFC, uh, in front of a packed house in Columbus, um, solidifying um, a third championship all-time uh, for the Columbus crew um, and sort of solidifying uh, Columbus, um, which is already sort of the spiritual home of soccer in the United States, but definitely sort of further helping that uh, title have some real claim. And um, yeah, so two weeks ago when we recorded... The crew had come off a 2-0 victory on the road against uh, Orlando City to, um, to basically set up what was the biggest Hell is Real derby uh, in history. Um, and for those of you not aware, that the Hell is Real derby is the nickname for the rivalry between uh, Columbus Crew and uh local uh, cross-state rivals, FC Cincinnati. Um, and, you know, I think there was definitely a lot of hype going into that game. Um, not only was it a rivalry, but, you know, um, um, an Eastern Conference final winner goes to the championship game. So that one pretty much um, kind of advertised itself, you know, uh, I think is no real hype needed there. And also just quickly, yeah, uh, the hell is real portion of, of the Derby is from a billboard on state route 71 between Columbus and Cincinnati or mm -hmm. 70, 70 71, 71. Regardless, mm -hmm. uh, apparently there's uh, someone who likes to pontificate that, uh, you must be saved. And <laughs> it's a rather large billboard that says, hell, all it says is hell is real. Indeed. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of, I guess they took that nickname. I don't know when, when I'm sure when the, they broadcast that, those games, do they, they don't reference that. Do they, they do. I, I think they, they do. did. Yeah, yeah, they do. The this league, the league actually somewhat surprisingly leaned into that because it was, an unofficial name sort of given to the rivalry by the fans of each club. So for MLS, which is sort of notoriously um, sanitized, let's say um, it is kind of funny that they actually really lean into that nickname um, for that particular rivalry. And uh, I'll be honest when any uh, any time those teams match up, I mean, it is must-watch soccer. Um, and, I mean, I guess I can pose the question to you, because I know you, if you can, you know, hearken back to that time. Uh, you know, no way did any of us expect that game to play out the way it did. 
No, and um, the the details are eluding me at mm-hmm. this point. But uh, I believe that was a live watch for for us, mm-hmm. even though you were there and I was here. Um, yeah, just an unbelievable performance by this Columbus Crew Club, and they almost you almost felt uh, a bit of destiny, but. Yeah. So going into the 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 cup match, um, not knowing, having not really ever played L.A. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't. I didn't know what to expect, and and we can. Well, obviously, we'll get into the breakdown, but um, it just you kind of had the feeling from the get go until a bit later in the match. Uh, that they didn't really have a whole lot to <laughs> they were outplayed very hard in the first half and I'll just say that but yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that in a yeah. minute here I, I kind of want to bring it back to the, the destiny thing because if you remember um, and I, I certainly do uh, there was a moment in the FC Cincinnati match uh, where the crew found themselves down two nil in the first half. Um, and we, and this is sort of anecdotally speaking, but I think it's sort of funny, uh, at Otterbine, we were having our annual recruit night, uh, for cross country. So we were hosting a bunch of high school recruits and, you know, they want to, they want us to have some sort of, uh, activity bonding thing uh me and a couple other people were not so interested in that and uh, were (laughs) huddled around my laptop screening that match and um it was funny because you know at the beginning there was probably five or six people watching sort of i was watching pretty intently but other people were just in and out and, you know, when it was 2-0 two, two Cincinnati going into that second half, I was the only one left watching, basically. Uh, I think yeah. many people had sort of resigned to the fate that the crew were not going to get it done. Um, but, and this sort of goes back to the history of, of the rivalry, but no lead is ever safe in that game, especially a 2-0 lead. And I just knew that, the, the crew needed just one moment. They needed one moment uh, to potentially score, and they would be right back in it. And it well, took. And I, I would say not only in that that particular game, that yeah. particular match, but and I'll, again, we'll talk a bit later about this. But I had forgotten how MLS soccer is that kind of game mm-hmm. which i love premier league i love the scottish premier league but the pace of these games in the mls is what people should be watching if you have not really delved into the the whole soccer mm-hmm. slash whatever uh, yeah for sure and yeah i i had no expectation going into the second half. Um, but yet they figured out a way to get it done. 
So yeah, it was it was honest to God, um, one of the greatest soccer matches I've ever watched. Seriously, um, I don't really use that lightly because uh, I've watched a lot of games in my in my life, but. Seriously, one of the greatest comebacks you'll ever see, uh, and it took, like I said, it took a while, uh, 75th minute, an own goal for FC Cincinnati, but it was basically created by the crew um, to make it 2-1, and right then and there, I just knew there was, there was a chance, that's all the crew needed, um, and, you know, a couple of us were watching, we react pretty loud to the goal, and and then slowly but surely, more people start crowding around the laptop, <laughs> wanting to get a glimpse of what was happening in Cincinnati. And um, uh, in the 86th minute, it was Diego Rossi to make it 2-2. And then I knew we were going to win there. I really did. Um, that is so crushing uh, as a player for FC Cincinnati, uh, as the fans, the energy – just completely sucked out of the place. To equalize. Yeah. In, in at, you, at that late point in the game. Yeah. And then there goes the momentum. So. Yeah. You definitely kind of could just, you could just feel. And that's one of the things about soccer that I think is a little bit different to other sports is like one moment sort of can just turn the entire game on its head. And you can, you can really truly feel like, you know a team is going to win. I just I don't know if you get that as much in other sports. Um, so then it goes into extra time. The first period of that was largely dominated by the crew, although they didn't end up scoring. And then 115th minute, uh, a cross from Kevin Molino, who has barely played this season, um, has had a ton of injury issues, and I think a lot of people were probably done with him uh, as a member of the team. Uh, it's someone that the crew spent a lot of money on and felt like maybe they weren't getting their money uh, with. Um, but Molino sends a cross into Cucho Ramirez, or excuse me, Cucho Hernandez, who then uh, heads the ball to Christian Ramirez, and that is 3-2, game done and dusted, and one of the greatest comebacks you'll see. And again, um, so the crew make it to MLS Cup to play LAFC. I honestly, I genuinely felt like the crew were always going to win the match against LAFC. Um, the crew have not lost a home match in 15 matches now, counting MLS Cup, in 20,000-ish. Uh, there were actually quite a few LAFC fans, but roughly 20,000 crew fans in the building for MLS Cup. And I don't know about you, but it, it always kind of felt like the crew were going to be hard to beat. Well, and I, I don't have uh, a great knowledge of the MLS MLS league other than, uh, the crew, um, <clears throat> trying to repeat, right. So LA had the cup mm -hmm. previously, yep. um, but there seemed to be just from even the, the get go, uh, kind of a, 
and of course i'm we're watching a, a local feed I, I i think it was a local feed uh or or maybe it was a fox feed but um even from just the kick uh there there seemed to be a little bit of goodwill towards our way yeah <laughs> and then dominate they they dominate the first you know basically the first half of the game possession wise but mm-hmm. i had forgotten because it had been a while since i've watched an mls game the pace of mls soccer is so fantastic so fantastic mm-hmm. the speed of the ball speed of the players it's so much different than the the other the premier league and the mm-hmm. scottish premier league which i've come to accept but i had forgotten i'm like this is this is like <laughs> it's like hockey almost yeah i think a lot of that it's comes more entertaining to watch yeah. No, I, I agree. I think a lot of that comes from the two teams that happen to make it to MLS Cup. Um, the crew have been playing pretty much the most entertaining soccer of anyone in the league all season. They scored 82 goals uh, this campaign, um, which was a club record, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and LAFC have some great attackers. Carlos Vela, I mean, his... His uh, reputation in the league, uh, you know, precedes him. He is a fantastic player. Dennis Buanga, who actually scored for them, again, another great player. But, yeah, the crew had such a a star-studded attack this season um, that I, I don't know if there was a defense in the league that really could get their way against them. Well, and the other, the other very important part was officiating and mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote letting them play. Yeah, and there was a lot of letting them play. <laughs> yeah, there was throughout this whole match. I mean, I don't think we saw a penalty, and we certainly didn't see cards early. But we didn't we didn't see a penalty until late in the first half. Yeah, I mean the the penalty that. They, you know, sets up the first crew goal from Cucho Hernandez uh, was a handball decision that, you know, to me was pretty obvious. Um, it had to be called. But yeah, other than that, there was not a ton of interference with with the officiating, which I which I admired. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it makes for much better play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know. Like you said, the crew pretty much dominating possession throughout the entire match, which was to be expected. LAFC were a team that were set up in a way in which they kind of purposefully uh, seeded possession in order to strike on the on the counter, which there were a couple instances where I think the crew were probably in danger later in the game, but you... For the most part, the crew did really well to pretty much stifle the counterattack um, really anywhere on the field. So that was a huge reason why the crew ended up winning. Um, but yeah, 
from the get-go, the just very comfortable. It was very comfortable for the crew, which you don't often get in an MLS Cup. Yeah, and uh, going through my notes here, uh, raining very hard. Yeah. <laughs> at the 35th or 36th minute to the yeah. point where it's it's hard to see that kind of stuff on TV, but you could definitely when you see if you can see it on tv then it's probably two times more intense on the field it's it was incredibly hard and we were watching yeah. uh from a bar in worthington which is about 10ish miles north of the stadium and it actually wasn't raining there so it was like a very very isolated but uh i guess s- s- dense rainstorm going over yeah. lower.com but um I guess we should kind of talk about that that penalty decision that pretty much gives the crew their first goal, gets them up and running. Um, like I said, I thought it was a pretty obvious handball. I don't know if you had a different outlook on it. it seemed pretty no. cut and dry. Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, they gave it to the guy that they should have given it to and, mm-hmm. and won nil. And then uh, that was, I think that handball was around the 31st minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, so then we've got hard rain. Um, and then in the 37th, uh, was it? I can't pronounce <laughs> Yao Yaboa. Yeah. Okay. Yao Yaboa scores off of what is a fan- just a fantastic <laughs> pass. One of the best passes you're likely to see, actually. Um, Multi Amundsen, uh, sort of an unsung hero of the crew season in the in the latter stages, puts a ball through the LAFC defense, which, mind you, was rather spread thin in that play uh, to the credit of the crew. But where he basically, it's kind of downfield, quite a few yards, He's able to manipulate the ball in which it sort of hooks perfectly to Yaboa, who then has a very tidy finish to make it 2 0. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you as you're watching the game, you're you're trying not to get overexcited because <laughs> now you're you're two nil. Yeah. Which but we all as we know, it can change but still mm-hmm. happily uh at two nil in the 37th mm-hmm. and i had a note here the crew uh keeper didn't even have to have a save until 44th minute yeah so not even a shot mm-hmm. really on goal <laughs> that's what i was saying it was it was very comfortable for the crew in the first half which i honestly was not expecting you know i i felt like the crew had the advantage that they were going to win. But I never thought it was going to be that that easy, really. I mean, you know, we'll we'll get into it, but LAFC almost just because of <laughs> the crew can't be at a thousand percent the whole game, you know, do put some pressure on the crew, but it never well, felt like the crew were going to slip away. Yeah, let's just kind of divert a bit let's talk about this coach yeah and 
you know, what a fantastic get mm-hmm. he was. Indeed. And you, you can provide more color than I can because I, I don't have, uh, <laughs> the same background knowledge that you do, but, mm-hmm. um, Geez, let's hang on to this guy. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he's referring to Wilfred Nancy, uh, the French-born uh, manager for the crew. And yeah, he was brought in at the beginning of this season uh, after the crew parted ways with Caleb Porter, who played what was uh, at times incredibly mind-numbing soccer. Um, and we basically flipped this team on its head to being one of the more boring teams to watch to the best team to watch in major league soccer. Uh, Wilfred Nancy, who came from uh, Montreal, um, shocker. Um, I, I don't know. I probably can't even put it into words how much of an impact he had, but I mean, seriously, he turned this team around who had, um, missed the playoffs the previous two seasons. He turned them around in about five matches. Uh, It was a pretty rocky start at the beginning of the year. I recall the first match of the season was a 4-1 loss to Philadelphia. Um, You know, and you're kind of expecting that. New players learning a new system. Uh, It's going to be a little rocky. But once it it gelled, I mean, this team was fantastic. in this playoff run, I mean, very little uh, went wrong for the crew. Well, I, I don't think anyone who is a crew fan or a um, MLS fan could have predicted the end of this season. No, absolutely and not. Y- you could just tell um, he is in control mm-hmm. and he has the right attitude on the sideline uh brings the best out and we've got some great great players Mm -hmm. so you just need to foster that and i believe this guy did obviously uh but what this does is it builds i mean so much momentum for next year i know it's actually quite exciting because um they are going to keep on to most of the core group here. Uh, they made their roster final decisions t- Tuesday, I think. Um, and they're not, they weren't, let's just say they're not losing much. And Tim Bezbachenko, who's the GM and uh, basically does all the transfers for the crew, uh, who basically masterminded the Nazi deal uh, to get him here. Uh, he's one of the best in the league in terms of recruiting. So, I mean, you'd expect some some good signings this winter uh, to sort of bolster this team because next season will definitely be significantly more challenging because um, when you win Major League Soccer, you are entered into the uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup, which is basically uh, the Champions League in Europe, except here. <laughs> So right. you get to play for the North American crown as well. So it's more games. So you definitely want to have some some depth uh, pieces involved. But yeah, I mean, Wilfred Nazi totally turned 
this team around this season. And you have to give him a lot of the credit for sure. Yeah, so almost an own goal for L.A. and stoppage. Um, didn't quite get there. Um, the only I have the only other note I have in the first half is this young keeper, this twenty-two two-year-old keeper. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what a galvanizing play that mm-hmm. and and hurt possibly injured, possibly not injured. He did take a pretty good shot to the head at some point but yeah i mean he's he's you know as we as as at least i think um the keeper is kind of a linchpin (laughs) you know if you're not defending goals absolutely you know what are you doing so uh shout out to this young kid and you'll have to give me his name because i can't remember (laughs) patrick schulte was his name he's uh he came from um, St. Louis, Uni- St. Louis University, um, and um, came up through the Crew Two uh, Academy team, um, and basically kind of just thrown into the starting job at the beginning of the season. Uh, Eloy Room was formerly the number one. He moved back to the Netherlands. Um, so yeah, we basically just took a chance on a young kid. Um, who, you know, graduated college a few months ago. And uh, basically, I mean, he he didn't put a foot wrong in this match. And, I don't think so. No, and he um, probably unlucky to concede at all in this match, I would say. Um, he seriously kept the crew alive multiple times against Cincinnati. So you really have to give him a lot of credit for this cup. Yeah. So second half, um, crew was on the attack early. I mm-hmm. thought they came out pretty sprightly. Um, and then, but then we also saw a little bit more, um, I don't uh, chippy play by mm-hmm. LA a little bit more, uh, desperation yeah <laughs> or taking more tackles taking more slides mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out if if they could make uh something happen by doing that more cards thrown um i don't know if you have anything specifically notable mm-hmm. uh, um i just remember uh a challenge that uh carlos vela puts on cucho uh, where Cucho is sent into uh, hysterics. Do you remember that? Where he, he's tackled, and then you can see him right before it cuts, like rolling around, <laughs> it really putting on the style uh, there. That was uh, sort of a highlight for me, maybe not all that important to the run of the game. But, um, yeah, it kind of just encapsulated that LAFC were – I would say getting pretty desperate, although I never really felt like they upped the urgency at all. I, I thought they were going to scrap that system of, okay, we're just going to cede possession and be in a back four the whole time. They ne- they didn't really adjust all that much, which I 
think you have to put a lot of the blame on their manager um, there. I just it, it didn't really feel like they really changed anything. Yeah, I think that uh, Schulte had takes it to the, basically the face was in the seventy third minute, and mm-hmm. that's when LF or L- LAFC scored. Yep, their their goal. Um, and then after that, we had plus seven. And when I saw that, mm-hmm. I always get a little anxious when there's that much stoppage. Yeah. Because we can see kind of any, anything happen mm-hmm. at that point. But yeah, I was watching with friends, obviously, and they were kind of asking before the 90th how much time. And I basically said, uh, probably more than you're going to want. <laughs> I, I yeah. expected about seven to eight minutes and it was seven. So, um, but the crew managed it super well, honestly. Um, again, didn't ever feel like they were going to lose uh, in this match, which was fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't, I don't recall anything in stoppage that made me nervous. Yeah. Necessarily. Um, but yeah, what a, what a fantastic end to the crew season and um you know i if you can put a dot on it i guess it was really great to see you guys at the parade and yeah you know the cup got shafted (laughs) yeah so me and my friends had the the pleasure of attending the championship parade so we motored down to lower.com field on tuesday and we got there early enough to where we we had pretty prime position. Uh, that video I posted on Instagram of them going by, we were right in front of the stadium, so uh, which allowed us to get a good spot for the rally afterwards. Um, so yeah, that was a really fun time. I'd never been to a championship parade, so uh, I feel like you know you have to take advantage of those opportunities for sure. Um, you know just being so close to these guys that you just see on TV or from the stands that they, they sports are weird, man. Like (laughs) these guys that just provide so much emotion to you and they probably, I don't know how much they know that, but you know, they, you're so close to them. It's so, it's a very surreal experience. Um, and they were throwing beers to everyone as they were going by, which I thought was funny. Uh, throwing Miller lights and Modellos and stuff. So, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, at the at the rally, they had uh, the players speak if they wanted to. So we heard from Darlington Nagby, uh, Aiden Morris, Patrick Schulte, who crushed a entire White Claw in front of the crowd before taking the mic, which everyone liked. Um, and we got to hear from the boss himself, Wilfred Nancy, and uh, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine <laughs> serenaded oh, he, in booze. Yeah, he can take us take a shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it was a really fun time. I, you know, like I said, I you, you just don't know when your teams are going to win championships. So if you can make it to these celebrations i think it's just something you you have to do um so yeah those will be memories i'll take with me forever which is you know kind of crazy but 
yeah, it's been a, a cr- it's been a really crazy two weeks since we last recorded. I, I, yeah. I didn't realize obviously that things were going to come out this way for the crew, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I think maybe you will, we should probably, you know, do a bit more with MLS in the next season uh, here on the show. Just, you know, I think it's a, it's a league that is by no means perfect. And I, I get that, but um, I, I think, you know, people would do well to, to pay more attention here in the States. So, yeah, yeah, I'll leave so it at that. We'll have to uh, squeeze an MLS uh, segment in. I <laughs> yeah, I think that would that. be cool. I don't think anybody's going to care if we go uh, hour and 20. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the putting a bow on it all. Um, 2023 MLS Cup champs, Columbus Crew. We will see what happens next season. Uh, be keeping a close eye on that. Um, and we're going to return to some European action for the next show. We've got a, a cup final in Scotland this weekend between Rangers and Aberdeen. We've got a big uh, derby match in the Premier League, so plenty of action coming on. But uh, I think we can transition now into uh, a nice special uh, segment that's becoming a, a nice yearly tradition for the show, and that is our end of season Formula One 2023 edition uh, season wrap up and award show. Um, so, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Crowd loves it. It is a red carpet event, uh, tuxedos and dresses required. For our guest audience here. Um, so if you didn't listen last year when we did this, uh, basically our team here at the studio assembles uh, a few awards uh, through a, a different categories, uh, basically as a encapsulation of the season that was in Formula One. And, you know, some of your favorite awards of course driver of the year team of the year race of the year in some more special awards uh like stinker of the year or uh the year what the fuck moment of the year so we have plenty of uh stuff to delve into um any opening remarks for you um well i'll i'll just say this uh you know, having, I guess this is our second full year of attention paying to the series and, and pretty much at, at some point or another, making sure that we're involved in, in each GP. Um, yeah, I, it was, it was great, but it was ungreat at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, the red, this Red Bull team, I'm not sure if, how long it's going to take them to be unseated, but we'll see as far as 
other team's progress. And that's important because I think we, we've, we saw a lot of, of highlights, a lot of moments this year. Um, but I think we're a couple of years out from this series really making a huge change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 2026 is going to be a pivotal, pivot, pivotal, pivotal, <laughs> pivotal, pivotal year. <laughs> yes. Um, but digressing back to uh, our our list here. Uh, at at the first uh, docket is driver of the year, not named Max Verstappen. <laughs> yeah, so I had to make an exception to our first two categories this year uh, in order to provide a little bit of spice to the show uh, because uh, Max Verstappen having won 19 of the available 22 races kind of seals the deal for driver of the year. So see this basically as uh, the best driver who isn't Max Verstappen for 2023. So I'll allow you to make your selection first. Okay. And I say Lando Norris. Okay. Second position at Silverstone at the Hungarian GP at Singapore, Japan, and Austin by DQ, but still second, and Brazil, third at Qatar. So one, two, three, four, five, six races, podium second, third at Qatar. So Lando Norris is my choice for driver of the year. Yes, you make a quite convincing argument, um, and that'll allow me to make this one pretty easy as well. Driver of the year, not named Max Verstappen, for myself, Lando Norris. Uh, yeah, so you, you gave some good statistics there uh, in terms of his podium performance, but um, I guess for me it was it was someone that provided excitement week in and week out in a season that I think objectively was not amazingly exciting. Um, he was someone you could always look to at least to have a nice brave performance in the McLaren. Um, he actually challenged Verstappen on a number of different occasions, uh, most notably at Silverstone where he actually overtook for the lead, which was awesome. Um, and looking just at the at the grid, uh, a still relatively young driver, and I think this is a guy that has a, a huge ceiling, a, a great potential, um, and I think is actually um, a, a world champion in the making. So um, for me, Lando Norris um, has to be driver of the year, not named Max Verstappen, um, just because... Um, what he was able to accomplish in that McLaren um, in the excitement that he provided uh, to the fans this season was to me unmatched. So that is my selection. So next up team of the year, not named Red Bull. What say (laughs) you? 
So I have a feeling we're going to agree again, but uh, my selection is McLaren. <laughs> um, and uh, sort of a similar reason for why uh, I picked Lando Norris as driver of the year, and that is because, again, I felt like week in and week out, they were the team that provided the most excitement on the grid. Um, and that goes beyond Lando Norris to Oscar Piastri. Uh, first off, fantastic rookie season. One of the better ones you're ever likely to see. Um, multiple, a few podiums. Uh, he actually won a sprint race. Um, so McLaren were always just sort of a, a beacon of light in a rather dark season. Um, someone you could always root for. Um and let's, I mean, let's not overlook that turnaround. I mean, this was a team that just had nothing to offer for quite a few of the first GPs. And then all of a sudden, a few updates, and they were really competitive. So um, that is my selection. Yeah. So I, I'm going to uh, throw a bit of a wrench in the wheel. Okay. I said Mercedes. Oh, okay. I was surprised. Yeah. Well, I looked at it from a, the standpoint of your second, you finished second in the constructor standards or standings only by three points. But mm -hmm. um, let's not take away from Lewis Hamilton and George Russell's just. Um, wanting to win yeah. and wanting to you know finish at the best place that they possibly can mm -hmm. um and i think they're you know it, when you look at them over ferrari only though it was a few points they made the right decisions at the right time had the best strategy to put themselves in the constructor's standings uh, albeit only three points, but two is two and three is three. Yeah. So that was kind of my, my, my whole philosophy behind that. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't discount this team next year. Yeah. I, I think that's a team that is definitely going to be improved, uh, into next season. Uh, they made it pretty clear almost immediately that they underdeveloped uh, this season's car and weren't very happy with it and kind of just not necessarily gave up on it, but were looking to the future. When you consider the challenge of the previous year where they couldn't even really put car on the grid without some fantastic horrible thing happening yeah i.e porpoising uh -huh. which is a a past something <laughs> that we don't even really talk about now yeah but that was a huge challenge for them mm -hmm. to rise so uh yeah i i feel like they they put their drivers in the best position put the team in the best position for the number two spot so I just gave it to them. All right. Fair enough. So uh, McLaren and Mercedes, respectively, taking uh, that title um, for this season. And I'll 
turn it to you once again for our next category here, which was your race of the year. Well, this this was easy for me, and it's Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, to build the infrastructure, $540 million cost to bring a, another series to the U.S. was huge. Was it perfect? No. But did it provide really great racing? Uh, possibly best of the year. Yeah. The best GP entertainment of the year. So mm -hmm. uh, to me, they, yes, they have some things to figure out, mm -hmm. but I, we will see this race on the docket next year and probably uh, a few, few years after that. Now, I have heard some off campus talk <laughs> about how it was they didn't really make any money and they didn't sell as many tickets as they wanted to but this is a learning curve yeah so mm -hmm. but i mean dynamically and just visually and not only that but just from a racing standpoint this probably eked out our best track silverstone uh by just a hair yeah so i will say vegas okay yeah i i you can't deny the hype surrounding that race um it, it did feel like under the lights that something you know pretty spectacular was always going to happen and i that was one of two races two uh that this season where i was like uh, well, I guess discounting Sergio Perez's two wins, um, where I was like, I think Max Verstappen is not going to win this race. Um, he ends up winning, but right. let's not forget, you know, Le Leclerc led for a long time, and then Perez led, and then, you know, things go certain ways. Um, but yeah, it did provide a lot of entertainment, so I, I'm... You know, I would say pretty happy with that selection there. Um, but I'm going to differ from you um, for race of the year and go with Singapore. So if you go, if you channel your F1 memory here, Singapore, the only race this season not won by a Red Bull, Mr. Carlos Sainz, the smooth operator, uh, took home the checkered flag in Singapore and the one thing about Singapore that I think took the cake for me in terms of entertainment and my race of the season that um, differed from other ones was this was maybe the first time since we started the show that three, maybe even four drivers could have won that race. And we're talking about like at the last lap, really. There were three drivers in contention. Uh, that was Sainz, Norris, Russell, and someone else was around, and maybe Hamilton or Leclerc or something like that. I don't quite remember. My memory is a little fuzzy. But regardless, a super competitive race throughout. Um, and, you know, maybe a little bit of bias just because 
uh, a Red Bull didn't win, but I think it offered um, a super uh, entertaining product. Uh, I remember watching that one with friends who aren't all that invested in F1 or not at all, and they they were you know pretty locked into it. So I mean, I think that one for me takes the cake. But um, yeah, there you have it. Makes sense. All right. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so moving on into perhaps a bit more um, negative <laughs> awards, awards one maybe would not want to take home. Uh, we got to go with the uh, stinker of the year driver. Um, so the stinker of the year award is uh, awarded to the driver who um, one of us uh, felt sucked the most of anyone on the grid. So I will turn it over to you for your stinker of the year, driver. Well, and uh, this is kind of a, a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Sinker, but saved his seat. <laughs> okay. Was Logan Sargent. Yeah. Um, Performance-wise, not great, but just eked out enough ability to say to a to the team uh, what what else do you have <laughs> yeah and and basically i think he salvaged it you know the last few gps of the year with uh position and um maybe qualifying there mm. i mean there's a lot of bad but <laughs> there is <laughs> there's no i don't i can't think of another driver that's that really stunk more than he did. <laughs> yeah. It, it's tough because he's a rookie that was, you know, kind of just thrown into that Williams and they even admitted early. They, they didn't really want to put him in, in 2023. But if you remember Latifi was so bad that they yeah. basically had to, um, in, yeah. yeah, where he kind of would win that award, which I am kind of, you know, I understand why you give it to him. The first, there's like a whole middle section of the season where he was awful, just terrible. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, it was good if he was, finished. Uh, off, off track limits constantly, mm -hmm. um, wrecking, <laughs> poor decisions. Yeah, yeah. destruction. <laughs> yeah, he costed the team a lot of money, um, which yeah. is not ideal. Um, so I'm, I, I, I'm gonna go with it. Yeah, um, I I would expect a bit more development from him next year and a better performance. But yeah, hard to argue with that, but I will. So stinker of the year, 2023 uh, driver for me is Sergio Perez. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's a bold uh, statement. Yeah, so. Finishes, I believe, second. He does. He does finish second. Driver. Yeah, so I let me allow me to give my reasoning. Uh, of course, um, a driver who won two races this year finished second. Um, if you remember back to Miami at the sort of near the beginning of the season, it was Max Verstappen two wins, Sergio Perez two wins, and we were like, oh boy, we might get a oh. nice little tasty title race here. A mixer. Yeah. 
Well, that did not happen at all, folks. I mean, uh, Verstappen would go on to, uh, with Miami, win 10 races in a row. Um, why? Meanwhile, his teammate in the same machinery uh, languished, could not get out of Q2 in qualifying in the most dominant piece of machinery the series has ever seen. Underst- yeah, I... I totally did. Yes. <laughs> and wrecking. Poor decision making. I mean, same thing we're saying about Sargent, really. Terrible qualifying. Getting demolished by his teammate in the same machinery. I mean, he was terrible until about four races to go where, uh, again, I think he saved his seat. Uh, two months ago, we were talking about him getting the axe and Daniel Ricardo taking over, which still yeah. could happen next year, honestly. Yeah. Um, I just think for someone that is supposed to be driving for Red Bull, which is clearly the best team on the grid, you cannot be getting absolutely demolished by your teammate every turn. And I understand they it's no secret they cater to Verstappen. He's our golden boy. But you cannot be so far off the pace of your teammate uh, in a Red Bull um, having so much experience in wrecking and qualifying terribly. Your point is well made by Lando Norris taking second in one, two, three, four, five races. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Much inferior equipment. Right. I mean, seriously. Fair enough. Seriously, with this Red Bull, with this Red Bull, it should have been Verstappen Perez one two every single race. Yeah. It really should have. And it wasn't. <laughs> it was far from that. So um yeah, I just felt like um he was not uh carrying his weight on that team at all. And next season, next season, that's gonna be a problem if that continues. And I'm not saying that Red Bull are gonna um relinquish their title by any means but it is not going to be so straightforward as it was this season so there's my reasoning all right so that pretty much transitions us into our stinker of the year team edition um so once again i'll turn it over to you to provide your stinker of the year 2023 team yes and this this is an emotional pick, but <laughs> sadly, it is Gunther Steiner and Haas. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> I mean, they they have the, the technology. It's a Ferrari power unit, which can be somewhat problematic at times but guys (laughs) i mean you you, you're in the bucket yeah you're in the goddamn bucket again and i say that because it's the only u.s team in f1 and can we can we fucking eek (laughs) we eek by a williams team yeah uh we we cannot and as much as I love, I love 
the U.S. faction in this series. Kill. Just, they stink. They absolutely stink. Yeah. They qualify. <laughs> they can have some great qualifications. And then race day, 19th, 18th, 20th. Yeah. Haas, Gene Haas, you're listening. <laughs> Help me out here. <laughs> yeah. It just why do they underperform in the development of the car every season? It feels like. I mean, this thing, well documented, this Haas just eats tires for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And and I don't was... think it's driver talent. No, they have a good I, driver lineup. I went back and I've listened to radio calls or K-Mag and Hulkenberg, and they're like, I can do nothing. <laughs> the car was that's a, not a the driver's fault. Yeah. That's, the, that's the car's fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, well-documented, that thing just shredded tires, and you can't, over a course of a GP, that's going to be an issue, obviously. Yeah, the one lap time was fine, you know, like you highlighted, but... Yeah, they need to figure something out because what did they score? 12 points this year? And that was with an AlphaTari team. That was terrible. Terrible. Let's remember Nick DeVries gets dumped this season because of how bad he was. So, uh, yeah, Haas probably need to do a little better next season. So. I uh, see how you could give them stinker of the year team edition. Uh, mine is going to be a little bit uh, further up the standings uh, because it's a team that I think I expect a little bit more from, and they never seem to do it, and that's going to be Alpine, um, who were sort of just languishing in this weird vacuum of not being – terrible but by no means being good um right. with a a great driver lineup i would say in esteban ocon and pierre gasly at least from a potential uh standpoint and a team that is well funded uh by renault and has a lot of money and we have talked about all the fucking financial investment that they are getting from these high-profile investors, um, not really competitive in any way, shape, or form. They're two podiums this season, congrats, but um, that is a team that should definitely be competing for podiums week in, week out, not just on very rare occasion. Um, and how many DNFs did they have this year? It felt like almost every other race it was a double DNF or Ocon gets 100,000 seconds of penalties. And it was yeah. just crazy. Like, how could a team be so wildly inconsistent? Um, with well, I, I think we're going to see a... Are we going to see a rebrand for that team next year? Uh, AlphaTari is supposed to rebrand next year. Okay. Um, Alpine is gonna... Alpine staying Alpine for, for now, at least to my knowledge. But yeah. yeah, just a team that should definitely be doing a lot better, um, and they aren't. Um, and like I said, not 
not necessarily bad, but ugh, not not good either. And I think a team with that investment should definitely be performing at a much higher level. I mean, you got to be running close to the McLarens at least week in, week out, and they weren't doing that. So that's going to be my stinker of the year for the team. Um, so a 180 here on, a, I guess, a more positive note. Most improved driver. So I will allow you to hand out your most improved driver award here. Yeah, so I had Alex Albon. Oh, okay, yeah. As the most improved driver, mm-hmm. only because mathematically he he was up six spots from last year. Yeah. Um, created some interesting qualifying issues. Yeah. <laughs> you know, was fast at times. Very fast. Uh, doesn't it doesn't really uh, translate to the actual GPs, but. Um, yeah, the only, I, I just did it mathematically because okay. he, he rose up six spots. Yeah. And I, but I do think that's fair. I mean, Albon pretty much the, the stalwart of the Williams team and clearly very talented. And I think is invested into the Williams project it was a huge factor in them, you know, coming up yeah, in getting their P7 standings as well. Yeah. Uh, pretty much the only factor. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. The P7. Yeah. No, I agree. I think he, I think that's a great, a great shout for that award. Um, Alba, and I think he could actually, he could probably win that award next year too, with the way it's, things are looking pretty solid at Williams at the moment. So we will see. Uh, My most improved driver it's going to be the the man that never ages, Mr. Fernando Alonso. Well, he he just kind of sits there in in five six position. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't disagree too too horribly with that call. Um, he is he's a, a legend. He has. Uh, he has brought he brought Lance Stroll mm-hmm. in into at least being a decent driver. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I I don't I can't totally dis- disagree with that. <laughs> I just think you know he's always just right there. Yeah, and not to and, say he was you know bad or anything with Alpine last season. Definitely not, but. He went from, uh, you know, being in the points every so often or somewhat often to, okay, well, he's gunning for podiums every week. And I think a lot of that does come with the development of the Aston Martin team. But, I mean, a a sort of a late career uh, renaissance for Alonso that I think was a, a great breath of fresh air to the series this season. So Yeah, and fourth. Yeah, uh, in the driver standings above Leclerc, so mm-hmm. if you can beat a Ferrari, not so shabby. Yeah, not at all. 
Um, so let's move on then to our penultimate award here, or maybe not necessarily award, but uh, the driver who regressed the most this season. Go ahead. Okay, so I went with uh, Joe Guan Yu of uh, Alfa Romeo, a team actually don't really talk about that much because not a whole lot to say. They kind of just suck. Uh, but um, Joe Guan Yu is someone that had a decent amount of hype uh, going into the series. Last year, he was a rookie um, and was okay. He had some moments of, of interest. Um, this year, Alfa Romeo were just in now to be sober, but, uh, but I mean, nothing, nothing there. I mean, weren't competitive at all. Uh, and Joe Guan Yu did not, I mean, like he got worse. I think he actually got worse. Um, it doesn't really make sense to me why, Okay, from a racing perspective, it does not make sense for me to me why he has a seat in F1 anymore, uh, especially with the Sauber Driver Academy being pretty solid. Um, and a lot of guys in F2 that I think are definitely worthy of a seat. Are, uh, are there a lot of Chinese guys in F2 and or it, F2? <laughs> or I, don't, <laughs> I don't believe there are a ton, but... That, that, Without getting too deep into it, um, it helps that Joe Guan Yu uh, is Chinese just because, you know, he can serve that market uh, of F1 and kind of be someone that... It's well-funded. Yeah, exactly. Well-funded, has a huge fan base, but uh, he got worse this season. I hate to say it. Uh, and that entire program got worse, and I don't really know why he's still driving for them, but uh, yeah. That is my pick for the driver who regressed the most. Well, I'll I'll say this. Uh, my pick was George Russell. Oh, okay. That's very compelling. To the eighth spot mm-hmm. this year. Um, not by any fault of of his. I don't think. I think there was a lot of. Uh, strategy issues with mm-hmm. Mercedes this year. Um, obviously, they didn't have uh, a super great machine. They struggled. And Hamilton is really good at not just saying the car sucked. Yeah. yeah. You know, because of his, you know, his seven championships, he's not going to shit on the team that brought him there, but Mm -hmm. the car wasn't good. No. Um, But Russell, Russell struggled. Definitely. He wrecked wrecked a few times. Mm -hmm. They, they had some issues with uh, strategy, but he was down eight, eight to eighth position Mm -hmm. from last year. Uh, You know, I had, a note here with some less relevant driver standing point drops. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was a four spot drop for uh, Ocon 
Botas mm-hmm. dropped five spots. K Mac dropped. K Mag dropped six spots. So a lot of guys lost a lot of position yeah. from yeah. last year to this year. Uh, but I think Russell in the Mercedes car was kind of um, the high line driver mm-hmm. that lost <laughs> lost the most spots probably yeah he well he went from being a big challenge to hamilton to kind of not anymore and he won a race last year in sao paulo never really came all that close to winning this year um so i i would agree i think russell is a good a good pick for your driver who regressed the most so um, I guess with that, we go to our final uh, award here, and that is, I can't remember if we did this one last year, I'd have to look, but that is our what the fuck or WTF moment of the year, uh, and a little bit of qualifiers here. This can be any moment from the season that made you say WTF can be outside of things that happened on the track as well. And I'm kind of interested to hear what you had to say for this one. Well, I, I took the easy route. Okay. And the WTF moment for me was the science <laughs> Ferrari penalty in Vegas. Yeah. Or um, a track issue lifting a cap off and distorting the chassis for no reason other than the track not being correct. Mm-hmm. Ten spot penalty. And that's, to me, this is where the FIA really screwed up. Yeah. Um, first, first race on this track, the car gets completely just basically destroyed. Yep. And you're going to give this guy a 10 spot penalty. When you, what you should have done was said, you're not responsible for the lifting of a valve cover. Yeah. That destroyed your, the chassis for your car. So what they should have done is said, you may repair or bring an, another chassis in, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Don't give the guy 10 spots. Yeah, that was definitely, a, unfortunately, a rather avoidable moment there in terms of the response to that event. Not only was it just kind of surreal, because I remember watching that live, and it was like the middle of the night, and you're, like, okay, uh, Vegas practice sesh, first one ever. Let's see what happens. And then well, every, everyone that was watching thought the car broke. Yeah, I thought something just broke. Yeah, like you said. As soon as they figured out that it was a track issue that caused it, um, you may have a new chassis and you will keep your position on the grid. Yeah, a, a really stupid uh i don't i mean the rule itself is not stupid like obviously if you crash a car you you know you can you should be subject to the penalties that come with that but 
when a, a totally just fault of of F1, I guess, uh, you know, when that event happens, it makes no sense to slam uh, slam down on signs there with that penalty. So I would actually, you know, agree. Um, that was probably the one that I would kind of go with for my WTF moment. Just want to throw it back to the beginning of the season at the Australian Grand Prix, um, which was the third race of the season. Um, I guess this is more of a collection of moments, but this this race had three red flags um, in a virtual safety car, um, and it was really just kind of a, a general shit show of race control. Um, it... I don't, again, I don't remember a ton of specifics. I just remember, you know, that there was a lot of red flag debacles and moments where uh, all of a sudden this race took forever and general just bad uh, race direction. So, um, but I would say the, yeah, the, the biggest WTF moment was the science manhole cover debacle. For sure. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yep. So they will, they will, um, they'll fix it. And, you know, if we're going WTF, I've, I've heard a lot of post race commentary about how they couldn't actually get people in the seats because the, the tickets were too expensive. And, um, it was a shit show in Vegas because mm-hmm. they shut the whole strip down and they had to open up certain corridors during non race times. But look, um, I don't think Vegas was prepared for what F1 brings. And this is a half a billion dollar ask yeah. for the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so either you want it or you don't. Mm-hmm. So that could be my my maybe my second WTF is either you want us to come or you don't. Yeah. So hopefully they'll get their shit together next year, and I do think it was probably visually it was the best race of the year. Yeah. Um, and and otherwise, I mean, competition-wise, it was a great race. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, pretty much brings a close to our uh, 2023 end of season award show. Um, something you know, always uh, I, I like doing, um, and I guess kind of officially puts the bow on the 2023 season. Um, so there's that. <laughs> um, yeah. Here's to so, some epic racing next year. Yeah. So hopefully we will do um, one more podcast uh, as you are back to Studio 2520. Um, we'll see what the holiday schedule brings. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we might get to squeeze one more in here Mm -hmm. otherwise yeah what a great year and 
just uh, really thankful for being able to take the 60, well, in this case, 80 minutes to <laughs> um, spend time. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun this year across both of the sports that we've covered. So um, really looking forward to to more of that, uh, more excitement. And, you know, we're going to, of course, stay up to date on all things F1 uh, through the off season as we navigate into next year. Uh, be on the lookout in the future. Don't know exactly when, but maybe some classic race rebinds and whatnot uh, as we navigate the off season. But yeah, I think for now that'll do us for the 65th edition tackling the chicane so take us away said the night wind to the little lamb do you see what i see way up in the sky little lamb do you see what a star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite, with a tail as big as a kite. Four, executive producers, Richard Tanaka, Mr. Bob Ritter, Bobby Callahan, Jimmy Hill, and Seamus O'Shaughnessy. This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2023. We've got one more show coming before the end of the year. We'll see you next time.